Don Luca, smoke you like my hookah Pump fake right, then I step back in illusion That's a boss move maneuver, billionaire entrepreneur Mark Cuban on the viewer, put you rookies on a skewer I stay shitting on you boys like I came up from the sewer Used to have a lot of dollars, now I got a lot fewer What you saying to me? I hope you save it for me I'm about to kill the game, and I put it in my testimony Hi, welcome to the Mainstream Mass Podcast. This is your host, Will. I am unfortunately not joined here by my co-host, Jaren, as he is unable to make this podcast. But nonetheless, today, we're going to be getting into the Mavericks 124 to 122 debilitating loss to the Indiana Pacers. One of probably the more thought-provoking losses that any Mavs fan came away with after this one, because... I mean, there's just a lot of bad thoughts emanating in a lot of our heads right now, to say the least. It was a very just weakening and sort of heartbreaking loss, not in the sense of, I mean, yes, of how close it was, but just the overall consensus of the team and the general feeling around it. it, it this team sorely needs a sort of invigoration of energy or something. And I think that Regardless of what any fans think the exact issues of this Mavericks teams are, they can all agree that they need an invigoration of energy and spirit because at times it does tend to look quite dead. But I mean, today, nonetheless, we'll of course be getting into this game, but also just is the Mavericks season in jeopardy? I know that seems a little bit like a far fetch just based off one game, but you know, this is obviously taking in counts of, you know, get countless amount of games this year and analyzing the ways in which the Mavericks have lost their clutch time woes and, you know, the whole Kyrie thing. And just the simple fact that the Mavericks only have 19 games left in this season. They are now 32 and 31. And I mean, there's cause for concern that they may not even hit the 41 win mark or the 500 mark. So there's a lot to get into with this one, to say the least, you know, I'm, Obviously, treading carefully when I say that the Mavericks season could potentially be in jeopardy, you know, I'm not necessarily saying that it is, but it is noteworthy to at least pose the question, I would presume, right? And at least, you know, kind of sift through why it may or may not be because, I mean, this was this along, you know, ever since when Kyrie's got traded here, they've been one and well, they've been one and four since Kyrie and Luca started playing together, but I mean, it's just been a little rough stretch of games from them, and it's at a very bad time. That's not to say that the Kyrie Luca pairing is not working or anything like that, but I mean, there's definitely cause for concern in terms of the Mavericks may fit how they may fare this season. But we'll be getting all into that. But of course, before we do that, here's an ad from our sponsor, Anchor. All right, guys. So getting into this one, before we even start the game, let's go ahead and get into Maxi Kleber's return. So after missing about two and a half months. Maxi Kleber returned after tearing his right hamstring and actually played, given the circumstances, pretty well in, I believe, about 24 minutes. He actually ended up closing the game just due to some issues regarding Christian Wood being in foul trouble, Dwight Powell not necessarily being the most um, tailor-made aid to stopping Miles Turner, if, uh, to say the absolute least. Uh, I think that Jason Kidd's hand was kind of forced a little bit in this one to play Maxi, even though he was on a preconceived minutes restriction that was undisclosed before the game. And, you know, Maxi, by all means, was not a cure-all. He was not some sort of godsend that alleviated all this team's defensive issues. I think that that's well-documented because uh, I know a lot of people were out 
with the agenda before Maxi came back that he was like the final piece to this team and the whole, and like all the defensive issues would kind of just like fade away as soon as he got here. And I mean, he definitely helps aid in that department and he helps alleviate some stress, but he is not the cure-all or the final piece to all this team's defensive issues. I want to dispel that narrative because at the end of the day, he is, I believe, uh, 31 years old. And on top of that, he has a track record of leg injuries and he's just not a guy that's going to be sustainable to be able to play this heavy dosage of minutes and starter level minutes night in night out. You know, he's a good contribute uh, contributor as a role player, but he's not a guy that simply has like the wherewithal to, you know, play starter level minutes and bang up against these, you know, top rim protectors night in and night out. You know, he's not, that big he's a really good weak side shot blocker he's a great rotational defender um, occasionally he can anchor down on some of those bigger centers um, as well as switch on the perimeter but if you're asking him to sort of mend to all these issues in one game you know that's when questions present themselves in terms of how you know sustainable that's going to be for him and uh, but nonetheless, I thought he played great in his debut for what it's worth. He hit a three. He attacked off a closeout and had a dunk that got the bench really hyped. And he just played some really sound basketball. He, I thought he played great rotationally on defense. He was matched up against Miles Turner one-on-one, especially in the waning moments of the second half at times. And, I mean, he did about as good as he could have. Uh, he forced Miles Turner to having to hit some, you know, fallaway jumpers on him, which Miles Turner – inevitably actually ended up making more than he missed but I mean you'd rather him take those shots than those little like push shots with inside eight feet that Christian Wood and Dwight Powell weren't able to defend or um, you know they weren't able to fare as good in pick and roll coverage on uh, those Halliburton and Miles Turner pick and rolls and it's wildly impressive that Maxi, having not played in however long was able to do so good in those um, minutes where he had to defend that pick and roll. So, I mean, I thought he played a hell of a game on both sides of the ball. You know, you could definitely tell that the explosion was maybe not there, that there was a hindrance there in terms of the lateral quickness and the athleticism, but he, he just stayed very stout. And in terms of the limitations that his body may be providing on him, I thought he played good. So when he fully gets up to speed, I think he's going to be a huge cog in the Mavericks rotation. So I'm very excited for that much. Um, otherwise let's go ahead and get into the game because there are a lot of different things to get into with this one. Before we start getting into some narratives regarding the game, I just want to go ahead and like kind of cover it sequentially and just look at it, um, kind of like on a quarter by quarter basis, um, because this definitely was one of those games that I, you know, I feel like there's, you know, these those sort of like stories, stories that are inept to certain parts of this game. This was a game that was not necessarily maybe a game of runs, but it was definitely a game of momentum changing, if that makes any sense. And, you know, we saw a little bit of a contrast between Rick Carlisle and Jason Kidd in terms of their timeout calling from that aspect. Rick Carlisle, he's always quick to stop a run, you know, if he sees one on the horizon. We saw that with his time in Dallas. You know, I failed to mention it, of course, but this was his second game returning to the AAC as the head coach of the Pacers. So, you know, there were a few times that the Mavericks seemed as if they were about to go on a run and Carlisle seemingly halted it by calling a timeout. And Kidd 
you know, he's more along the lines of letting his guys run, letting his guys play, trying to let them fight through adversity, which, I mean, occasionally does have its benefits. And, you know, your team can definitely grow from that a lot more than having, you know, their play halted and things of that nature. But more often than not, it will um, tend to, you know, let the issue or whatever is happening with a given team when you don't call a timeout, it'll let that issue sort of um, turn into something bigger than it is. And, you know, that definitely has been cause for concern from a lot of Mavericks fans in terms of Jason Kidd's non-timeout calling, if you will. But nonetheless, it wasn't anything that I think severely hindered the Mavericks in this game or anything like that. But I did think it was a noteworthy point that I wanted to point out. But nonetheless, regarding the actual game, I know I've said that twice, but regarding the actual game, to start off the game, I thought Miles Turner and Tyrese Halliburton exploited the Mavericks in the pick and roll, as I'd kind of alluded to. Uh, Halliburton is just such a master with, you know, his hesitation dribbles and his crossover. I mean, he's extremely quick. His season this year, of course, has been extremely impressive. And his ability to change pace and probe in the pick and roll um, was no match for Dwight Powell, to say the least. And, um, you know, whether it was the Mavericks trying to switch the pick and roll too late or Dwight Powell or, you know, that point of attack ball defender just kind of being too indecisive in terms of what to do on some of those uh, Halliburton and Turner pick and rolls. Um, it was more often than not leading to a lot of Turner wide open push shots or, you know, lobs at the rim. And when they deferred to the pick and pop, uh, the Mavericks just simply, you know, didn't have the wherewithal to stop it. The Mavericks did a little bit better job of rotating a guy over from the weak side to stop those Turner pick and rolls. But when they, when he started making threes, Miles Turner, that is, it was extremely hard to stop from the Mavericks perspective, especially when, it was one of Wood or Powell having to guard him head up. And the Mavericks did run a few. There were a few instances tonight where they ran some two big lineups. And I, I thought that they actually fared quite well defensively, whether it you know be Wood and Maxi specifically, which I thought did the best. And, you know, there were a couple of times Wood and Powell got together out there that they didn't do too bad either. Because, um, you know, just from a perspective of being able to rotate one of those guys over when you have, you know, such a dynamic roller, and Miles Turner, you know, he obviously wasn't coming into the league known for his rim rolling, but he's he's evolved into this sort of multi-dimensional offensive center. And, and it's been uh, joyous to watch just from an NBA perspective, the way the guy plays the game. It's, uh, you know, he's a hell of a player. And I really wish he was on our team, to say the least, especially with, um, you know, how good he is defensively, probably being one of the best shot blockers and rim protectors in the league. But nonetheless... That was absolutely killing the Mavericks in terms of that Halliburton-Turner pick and roll. I believe Turner had like eight points to start the, the first eight points for the Pacers. He had to start the game. But the Mavericks were able to remediate some of that um, pick and roll game from the Pacers by Luka just simply scoring at all three levels in this one. He finished with 39 points. But, I mean, he was just doing a great job uh, tapping into – his post game in this one, there were a lot of instances where Kyrie or Josh Green, when he got in there, would bring the ball off and, you know, they'd run Luke off down screens to get him the ball. That That is one of the benefits of having Kyrie on this team is you have the ability to 
not use, I mean, the Mavericks haven't really necessarily tapped into using Luca off ball to the degree that they could, but they have the ability to run some different actions that doesn't involve Luca having to bring the ball up the court and ISO the whole possession. You know, he can get the ball in different spots. I mean, you know, when you get the ball to him in the post with a successful entry pass, or, you know, you get the ball with him on the wing with a favorable matchup if, um, you know, the pace, if the Mavericks got a favorable switch, uh, those can lead to a lot of different good things. And it can also save Luca from expelling as much energy. So I thought he did an excellent job tonight taking advantages of mismatches, you know, operating in the mid-range, getting to those post-ups. And, you know, when he got a big or somebody more slow-footed um, on him, he did a good job just simply blowing past guys and, you know, using his combination of strength and quickness to get to the rim. And he did a good job, like, when the double team was coming, you know, diagnosing if he needed to split it, uh, if he needed to pass out of it, you know, create that four-on-three scenario. And there were even a couple times, I love when Luca does this, you know, when there's a trap coming from whichever side it's coming from, he attacks the weak side and he gets to the rim. He did that like once or twice tonight. So he did a great job scoring on all three levels. His step back was going in a little bit tonight. Um, you know, probably a little more, more efficient than it typically does. He ended up going, well, through, I, I say that. And then I, I look at the box where he ended up going three for nine, but there were um, particularly in that first half, it definitely seemed like it was dropping a little bit more, but I guess it um, it kind of veered off a little bit. But nonetheless, excellent game from him. He was really what kept the Mavericks um, just up and going in that first half and um, gave them the ability to compete against the Pacers in that first half. I mean, otherwise, the Pacers shot very well from three in that first half. And I think the spacing and the Mavericks having to rotate guys over from the weak side to stop that Halliburton-Turner pick and roll was part of the reason that the Pacers were seemingly getting so many open threes. Aaron Neesmith, who only played 18 minutes in this game, it seemed like a whole lot more, or 19 minutes rather. He went two for four from three. Miles Turner went one for two from three. Halliburton went two for six from three. But those were mostly above the break threes that he, you know, was shooting at the point of attack, you know, when a guy goes under on a screen or something like that, those weren't necessarily catch and shoot threes. Um, Buddy Heald went one for one. Uh, Jordan Aura went three for four. I felt like all three of those were in the first half. The Pacers as a team tonight only finished, um, I believe, 12 of 37 from the three-point line. Or no, 11, 20, 11 of 28, my mistake. They only finished 11 from 28. The Mavericks were 12 for 37. But they were shooting the lights out in the first half and they ended up finishing the first half with 69 points. I have that right. Yes. They ended up finishing the first half with almost 70 points in this one. And, you know, they did bear some negative shooting regression in that second half, but um, as you can obviously see attributed to the box score, but they, you know, really got going by virtue of their spacing in that first half. And that definitely, served as a hindrance to the Mavericks' ability to keep pace with them, no pun intended. Um, the Mavericks probably could have been a little more stout defensively in that first half, but I will say that the Pacers were getting a lot of foul calls, and the Mavericks were overfouling quite a bit. A lot of that also, there were a couple sort of ticky-tacky calls that I thought could have been, you know, conducive to the referees as kind of like in that Lakers game, but it definitely wasn't as prominent a lot of it, I think, just had to do with the Mavericks being preemptive on some closeouts. I know that they ended up 
fouling um i want to say it was was it buddy healed yes it was buddy healed i got a foul twice shooting threes uh tim hardaway jr i remember was on the closeout one of those times and barring that the mavericks um when they had any sort of turnovers or long misses and the pacers were getting out in transition they were just fouling a little more heavily than you'd like them you know you'd like to have the ability to contest without fouling as much you know christian wood I think he picked up four personal fouls tonight. Maybe it was five. Let me check. He ended up having four, but two of them were very dumb fouls by him in the fourth quarter that we'll get into here momentarily. But, yeah, I mean, the Mavericks, their perimeter defense, I didn't think was too terrible to, you know, really open the gates um, in that first quarter particularly. They just had a struggle defending that pick and roll, particularly with, you know, Reggie Bullock as the point of attack defender on Halliburton and, you know, Dwight Powell, obviously just being indecisive when having to guard Miles Turner in those instances. But, you know, both of those guys are uber talented offensive players. So it's a tough ask, you know, for the Mavericks to be able to do that. So I don't want to blame them too heavily, but I, at the same time, you know, we do have to provide constructive criticism for their, inconsistencies in that department I thought that you know like I said I thought there were some times particularly like Justin Holiday, he had some really good plays where he rotated over to his guy well you know he a large portion of this game he was guarding either like Nemhart or Aaron Neesmith or Buddy Heald he was kind of you know just running around the perimeter guarding a lot of those shooters um, but particularly at the point of attack with Halliburton the Mavericks just did not have many answers for that and you know there were some times in the second half where the Mavericks did a good job of trapping late on Halliburton and kind of forcing the issue um, at the point of attack, particularly like when Maxi got switched onto a couple of the Pacers smalls. I don't think that they necessarily thought or predicted that he was as good as he was defensively. Rick Carlisle should have informed his guys that, you know, this white guy from Germany can actually, you know, anchor down and play some perimeter defense. But um, unfortunately for the Pacers, that is, uh, they they didn't seem to understand that. So, I mean, I think that that was a big part of the Mavericks also kind of getting things going a little bit defensively in that fourth quarter. But otherwise, that first half was, you know, dominated by the Pacers spacing that they were able to create on offense, the threes that they got because of it, and, you know, maybe a couple ticky-tacky fouls, but also the Mavericks being a little lackadaisical on their rotations in terms of their perimeter defense. Uh, is kind of being behind the curve and, you know, allowing a lot of transition opportunities to the Pacers, which were forcing the Mavericks by virtue of that to over foul. So I think the Pacers ended up finishing 31 of 40 on free throws in this one. And they had like 20 something free throws in the first half. So that in itself is not a good marker, but moving on to the second half, the Mavericks in that third quarter ended up scoring 39 points, but contrary uh, to them, the Pacers ended up having 37, so it didn't necessarily remediate the defensive woes that the Mavericks were having. But in that third quarter, the Mavericks had a very solid uh, second-half shooting barrage from Hardaway and Reggie Bullock. And I honestly thought that it was because they were being benefactors of the space that Kyrie and Luca were creating. Um, the Mavericks were running a lot of horn sets. Um, they were able to counteract the Pacers, you know, who were doubling Luka and Kyrie. There were a lot of four-on-three scenarios kind of created in that 
second half. Now, I thought Rick Carlisle did a really masterful job in terms of the timing of some of those doubles that the Pacers were able to institute, but, you know, they were half-court pressing the Mavericks at time, or full-court pressing the Mavericks at times for that matter, and it was able to lead to some wide-open shots when the Mavericks were able to break the press. There were a couple times that Indiana was really able to get behind the curb. They didn't necessarily create a ton of turnovers, but they were able to wind the shot clock down because their ability to hedge and recover when they were pressing and things of that nature. Um, but the Mavericks, I thought, particularly when Luca and Kyrie had the ball, that they did a good job diagnosing what the defense was giving them and, you know, making the right reads accordingly in that in that third quarter and early fourth quarter. And, you know, it ended up eventually, particularly out of those horn sets when, you know, when you have two guys screening um, at the, you know, up at the point of attack and then, you know, they dissipate. Uh, from there on out and, you know, end up rotating, you know, either one of them rolls and goes to the corner uh, you know, or vice versa, things of that nature. There's just a lot of optionality out of that set. And the Mavericks have obviously ran it a lot all season and they were getting a lot of wide open threes in the corner because of it, uh, particularly with Hardaway and Bullock. And then the Mavericks actually got out to running. You know, I thought the Mavericks, they kind of matched the pace of play of the Pacers in this one. Um, Indiana played pretty fast. They, on like any above the break threes that the Mavericks took that bounced out really far, the Pacers got the rebound there running and gunning, and the Mavericks to an extent matched energy. Even Luka was out and running pretty well. So I thought that they were able to do that pretty good, and that definitely helped them get out in transition and, you know, create some wide open threes, which was nice. But the defensive woes were only amplified in that second half uh, just in terms of, you know, that Halliburton, and Turner pick and roll, but the Mavericks even seemed to get a little more lackadaisical. I thought in the third and fourth quarter, they were getting blown by a little bit more just on routine, you know, rudimentary, like single dribble blowbys by the Pacers. We'd see, you know, an Andrew, ne uh, Aaron Neesmith or an Andrew Nemhart be able to kind of just glance by whatever Mavericks defender. And I mean, at that point, that kind of just comes down to effort and they got to get a little bit better at that, especially when you're trailing behind a team that is eight games under, or now only seven, but at the time, eight games under 500 at this juncture in the season with only 19 games left. I mean, you got to provide a little bit more effort and they seemingly just didn't do that for whatever reason. Um, but nonetheless, that obviously takes us to the fourth quarter where Doncic and Irving played pretty well down the stretch, particularly Kyrie in those non-Luka minutes. He actually, after not necessarily being too much of an aggressor this game uh, appeared to take heat in that fourth quarter was, you know, really being a really good facilitator in that fourth quarter when he got trapped as well as, you know, just going to Kyrie ISO ball Haven um, when it was warranted and being able to create for himself in the mid range. And the Mavericks ended up winning the fourth quarter, 24 to 18. And they kind of had a tough time at the beginning of this fourth quarter. You know, they were conceding a lot of, Freeze and things like that to the Pacers, uh, a lot of open looks, but the Pacers were kind of missing some stuff and the Mavericks got lucky on a few shots. And then uh, towards the, you know, the last six minutes, you could definitely see that there was a shift in the Mavericks in terms of their uh, rotational defense. And they they just seemed a little bit more in scramble mode. They need to be like that for the whole game. You know, I, I know that there's a certain defensive cap with this roster. You know, they don't necessarily have the personnel to maybe be a top 10 defense, um, but I mean, they can certainly be top 15, you know, if everything clicks right and 
the rotations are on point and things of that nature. You know, but we'll get into the rotations a little bit later. But that, you know, the, the Mavericks were able to, you know, catalyze and really have a pretty fruitful defensive effort within those last six minutes. But it was to no avail as for whatever reason, their shot making kind of stalled out in those waning moments of the game. Kyrie missed a few. Uh, I thought Luca did pretty relatively well down the stretch, but he really didn't have the ball in his hands a whole lot. Uh, they were kind of trading off possessions, but, you know, Luca had had one of those uh, threes at one point within the last like six, seven minutes of the game to cut the lead to seven, you know, the Mavericks were down by like 10 or something. So they were kind of playing catch up that whole fourth quarter anyways, just because the sheer amount of points they had led up to the Pacers all game, but they were able to get back in it. And, um, then it kind of all, it seemed as if all hope was lost with about seven seconds left. The Mavericks were down two. And after a possession in which Tim Hardaway Jr. missed a corner three on the right side of the floor and the Maver Indiana just played really good scramble defense on, you know, the ensuing possession to which the Mavericks were down 124 to 122. I think it was like 20 some odd seconds left. Um, and you know, the Mavericks, you could see they had like a design play and they were able to get Hardaway that spot up shot in the corner, but, uh, just really a scramble defense for the Pacers. They got a good contest on it. And, um, of course, Tim missed it. Indiana got the rebound. The Mavericks fouled Andrew Nemhart after he took some time off the clock. I think they had a foul to give it first. So they fouled somebody, then they fouled him and Andrew Nemhart went to the line and, he may he missed both of his free throws with 7.1 seconds left. He's not a guy who shot a heavy dosage of free throws this year. So fortunately, he missed both of them. And the Mavericks then ended up uh, getting the rebound, of course. They call a timeout. There was some debate whether they should have took a timeout in that scenario. I don't have any gripes with it, especially since Kyrie was out of the game for defensive reasons after the um, – after Tim had missed that shot. So I, that was kind of what it, what it was, for, in my opinion. But nonetheless, the ensuing play, the Mavericks draw it up for Kyrie. He gets the ball at the left wing, typically where we see Luca take those step-back threes, and he ended up dribbling into a step-back three to try to win the game, down by two. Now, I mean, you can debate whether the Mavericks should have got off a better shot in that scenario, and I know we've had our gripes with Luca and Kyrie in terms of some of the clutch time woes as of recent. But, you know, particularly in this instance, I mean, I thought it was a good look. Kyrie did a really good job creating space for himself. I believe it was on TJ McConnell where he shot that step back three on. Uh, but nonetheless, it went off the front rim and the Mavericks lost. And I think that, the, you know, particularly in that scenario, you know, obviously that design of that play was probably attributed to Jason Kidd. And I don't know if he, you know, there's been some credence to the fact that he's, you know, over the course of his coaching career, just kind of lets whatever star players on the team just go try and make that shot. He doesn't necessarily draw plays. And that very well could be the case. I mean, I think in a scenario like that, you may have to draw something up to, you know, try, you know, particularly when you're at home, you're not on the road, you're not trying to steal one. Like try to draw something up to where you can tie the game instead of necessarily having to divert to winning it. But I mean, it, it was a good look. I don't know how many gripes or just general bouts I necessarily have about that play particularly I thought the Mavericks lost this one with their um, overarching defensive effort over the whole game but you know if I have to be nitpicky I, I probably would have liked them to 
have shot a two in that instance or got something closer to the rim, having only been down two after that. Those Nemhart free throws, but in terms of the actual look that Kyrie got, I don't really have any gripes with it. If anything, at the end of the day, it would come down to coaching and just drawing up a better play in that instance specifically. Um, but yeah, the Mavericks ended up losing the game in that sort of heartbreaking fashion in a stretch with, I guess there was 20 games left before this game started and now 19 games left where they sorely need to start winning because, you know, you do the Kyrie trade and you go all in. That is sort of just the nature of the situation. They have to get their, for lack of a better term, they have to get their shit together or else this is going to be a long last 19 games. And I mean, they're packed very densely within this Western conference. They're now seventh in the West and they could within literally a couple losses and a couple wins could be out of the play-in tournament. They could be like where the Lakers are at right now. So, I mean, this is a very sticky situation with a lot of teams very densely packed together in this conglomerate that is the Western Conference playoff race. And the Mavericks are not necessarily um, having the best of time trying to move up in the standings at the moment. So we'll have to see what happens. But the, the direction of this team in terms of everything is just very wishy-washy at the moment. There are obviously are going to be the, you know, sort of indictments upon Luca and Kyrie by the national media and talking heads and things of that sort. But at the end of the day, the biggest issues with this team kind of come down to, you know, figuring out the rotation and what's that that's going to be. And more so than that, the perimeter and even grander than that, the interior defensive woes at this that persists within this team because it severely handicaps what they can do just from a roster construction standpoint um, when you're not able to defend the rim in the modern NBA and the Mavericks are kind of hard pressed to do so um, on a consistent basis. You know, Maxi can help with some of those woes and Christian Wood occasionally has his good games there, but they're definitely not cure-alls to say the least. Um, so we'll just have to kind of see how this situation evolves over the course of the next 19 games. But you know, I posed the question at the beginning of the pod, is the Mavericks season in jeopardy? And I'll tread lightly on the fact that I would say it may not, I don't think their season's in jeopardy yet, but there is cause for concern that it's getting there. I would say that much to say the least. And who knows exactly what happens, but they need to figure it out is all I'm going to say. Uh, but let's get, let's get into the, some of the performances of how everybody fared on, you know, both the Mavericks and the Pacer side. We already kind of talked about Luca, of course. Um, I'll definitely delve a little bit more into Kyrie in this instance. There's obviously been a lot of discourse about him not being aggressive enough, particularly in the non-Luca minutes. And I mean, I do think that there's some credence to that. Uh, you know, he had some post-game comments we'll get into at the end of the podcast. But at the end of the day, you know, he he is making the right plays on offense. He is definitely imposing himself as more of a facilitator than I probably conceived that he would before he came to the Mavericks. There were a cut, definitely a few instances where he like passed out of shots and things of that nature that were a little bit surprising to me, but I mean, he's creating good space for himself. And a lot of people on Twitter have kind of came at me for saying that Luca and Kyrie are gelling well together just because Kyrie necessarily hasn't, you know, maybe came into himself. He's had a few great games at the Mavericks. You know, we look back at that 26.4th quarter that he had a few games ago. And some of these other performances, I mean, particularly in those first two games without Luca, he played great, amazing. And I, I think that he can easily get back to that. This could just be a little rough slump. Everybody goes through slumps. I mean, it's literally just been like two games versus 
you know, both the Patriots and the Lakers where he hasn't done the best. But, you know, I, I think he could serve to be more of an aggressor at the end of the day. But that's not negating the fact that him and Luca do gel like well together because just by virtue of namesake and how much attention they command on the floor and the pressure that they point at, they, they put at the point of attack on the defense. I mean, they're creating a lot of space and this offense still ebbs and flows very well uh, just with their inclusion on the floor at the same time together. And I mean, you see that when those Maver the Mavericks are running those horn sets with both them in the game together and one of them screening. I mean, the Mavericks are able to create a lot more looks for everybody for everybody else. So the offense still is great with both of them on the floor. And so I would say that they gel together well. They're probably still trying to figure out and fine tune some of the intricacies in terms of, you know, some of those direct actions that they run with each other, whether, you know, it's Kyrie or Lucas screening for each other, um, you know, running certain actions where, you know, one of them uh, is coming off ball or one screens for the other off ball. There's a lot of different other things that they have yet to kind of tap into. Uh, we're, we're seeing some of it, you know, particularly in that Lakers game, we saw them run some, um, you know, staggers for Kyrie with Luca as the, you know, lead ball handler, things of that nature. But there, there are, there's obviously some more that they can kind of tap into that we're, I'm, uh, I'm pretty excited to see. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, Kyrie could definitely serve to be more of an aggressor, but the offense still is working well. When, you know, once they really fine-tune some of the intricacies of, you know, splitting their shot diet up a little bit better, um, just, you know, running some of those actions to a premium a little bit more, then I think that we're really going to see the full dynamism of their fit together. Because, I mean, they, they fit well offensively together. They're two great lead ball handlers that, you know, can get their guys open shots in their spots and as well as great offense for themselves as good as anybody in the NBA. So, I mean, I, I don't have any cause for concern in terms of how they fit together, uh, just maybe fine tuning some things. And, you know, Kyrie, I don't know if it's just a little slump for him, but, you know, maybe just getting an, an increased shot diet for him. I don't know if, if it's a confidence thing, who knows, but, you know, I'd like to see him be a little bit more aggressive, especially in those non-Luka minutes. I mean, he went seven for 18 for tonight. He shot the second most attempts on the team. But, you know, there were some possessions where he definitely – you thought he probably could have served to take over a little bit more. But I don't think that that's necessarily the reason the Mavericks lost in that game. And, um, you know, it's obviously because of their defense. But getting on to, you know, others in this game, Dwight Powell only played 12 minutes in this game. The Mavericks definitely deferred to Maxi and Chris – Christian Wood over him a little bit more in this one for whatever reason. You know, we've seen Dwight Powell be the sort of mainstay and the starting five for the Mavericks. He's played the most minutes as of recently, but for whatever reason in this game, you know, I don't know if it's because of Miles Turner. I think that that's my underlying suspicion and just the fact that Dwight Powell got in foul trouble when, once we got to that. Um, or he didn't get in foul trouble. Never mind. I didn't check that. Oh, he, he got hurt. That's what it was. He got hurt late in that fourth quarter. He got a knee to the groin, and that subsequently caused Maxi to come in and play the waning minutes of the fourth quarter. And it was interesting. You know, the Mavericks kept Powell out of this one a little bit more. And, you know, that that's probably where you'd like him to be relegated as to maybe that third big man in the rotation behind Wood and Maxi. And, I mean, I think just dependent on, you know, unless they're playing Wood and Maxi together, I don't necessarily have any gripes with maxi starting over wood when whenever we get to that point because i mean i think that the defensive versatility maxi's going to be able to provide consistently at least is going to be you know far and above 
wood just from the standpoint that wood can provide that, but only in spurts, right? And so I'm okay with that, but you know, the whole PAL wood thing is a really confusing thing. But PAL, for whatever reason, does have much better advanced stats and the Mavericks perform better with PAL on the floor versus Christian Wood, which is interesting in terms of some lineup data. So that's a whole other thing to get into. But I thought Dwight Powell himself played pretty well in his minutes in this one. You know, he did a good job rolling, trying as hard as he could to limit Miles Turner, but he just simply didn't have the, the wherewithal or the, you know, ability to flip his hips or the defensive versatility to do it. And I mean, there were a couple of times where he did a good job room rolling and running the floor when the Pacers half court pressed. I know Christian Wood gave him an easy dunk when they went to some of those two big lineups in the end of the third quarter scenarios. Um, but barring that, you know, pretty stereotypical Dwight Powell game, missed a couple bunnies, made a few nice, you know, dunks by just maintaining him, his position in the dunker spot and played pretty lackluster defense, even if he did try hard. But there were a few plays where he got switched on the smalls. Um, there was one play late in the fourth quarter where he was on Halliburton where he uh, had a really good contest on him. And there were, you know, he, he, I think he got a steal tonight. He did a good job rotating. So there were a few times where he was able to clamp up as, you know, his effort is going to be able to lead him into those situations more often than not. But, you know, just as a defensive player, just in terms of how he operates, it's obviously going to be a little bit harder for him to stop any guys one-on-one and things of that nature. But I mean, his team defense obviously is invaluable for what it's worth. Right. So I thought he played okay. Reggie had a great game tonight from a shooting perspective. He obviously had trouble stopping that pick and roll as would a lot of point of attack defenders in the NBA would, but he went five for nine from the field, four for eight from three. He had, he had a great job shooting tonight and, you know, kept the Mavericks in this game throughout a lot of stretches even if the defense didn't necessarily get back to on par till maybe the third and fourth quarter, I saw him get a, finally a few more stops on Halliburton. Um, but, you know, he's obviously tasked with a tall, tall order. And, you know, he, for the most part, he stepped up to the challenge, even if he didn't, you know, necessarily limit Halliburton as much as we'd like, he was able to kind of compensate on the other side of the ball. Justin Holiday, he had, you know, he started this game. We can obviously debate the whole, you know, who should start over him and Josh Green. And, you know, I still vehemently believe it should be Josh Green, but that's besides the fact he did a pretty good job uh, defensively in this one yet again, uh, just a great rotational defender uh, from what it's appeared. He, he does a really good job just man tracking and being able to stay with guys who are moving off ball. But, you know, he, he didn't take a whole lot of shots tonight. Went over three from the, uh, from the field, went over two from three went over two from the free throw line and grabbed a few boards. This wasn't the most um, prominent Justin Holiday game, but I thought he served as a solid defensive cog for when he was in there. And, you know, I'm happy Josh was able to really establish himself tonight. And, you know, not, not prove maybe why he should play more. Cause I mean, they both provide something valuable to this team, but you know, he, he served that he, or he showed that he can be a little bit more dynamic offensively, right? Justin Holiday, when his shot's going, he's good, but he's not a guy that's going to be able to attack off a closeout or run transition the way in which a Josh Green can do. But, I mean, he played solid tonight defensively, so I'm not going to knock him too heavily. That's as far as the starting lineup goes, you know, going to the bench. I obviously talked a lot about Maxi at the beginning just in terms of 
his defensive versatility and what that meant to the Mavericks and, you know, him not obviously being a cure-all to some of these problems, but he definitely alleviates a lot of the stress. And I don't know what his minutes restriction was tonight, but the Mavericks were kind of forced to go to him down the stretch during certain points. And I mean, he stepped up to the plate and he played quite well. So I was happy about that. He kind of did as much as he could. He did just a great job rotating. He guards like two, three guys on one position, which is wildly impressive. Even if, you know, he's kind of seemed like he lost a step or he wasn't as explosive coming off that hamstring tear. He did a phenomenal job to as best as he could. He knocked out a three. His offense didn't look terrible tonight. So props to him, man. He, he played a hell of a game. Christian Wood, this is a sort of interesting situation to get into because he went five for 13 tonight, 0 for 5 from 3. Um, but he actually looked fairly well offensively. I thought he, for what it's worth, he did a good job as much as he could have on Turner. He kind of did look as if he stopped the ball a little bit at times. And, you know, there, there were a few offensive possessions where you feel like there was a sort of stalemate when he caught it. But, I mean, nonetheless, I thought he did a good job effort-wise. He didn't play terrible defensively in this one. He did a fairly good job rotating and uh, guarding when he had to get matched up on smaller guys, just staying with them, not getting really blown past. But, you know, he had a few fouls early on, and then in that fourth quarter, it really culminated into something bigger than what it could have been when Christian Wood had, like, two very blatant illegal screens in a row. He kind of threw his shoulder into a guy. And this was a game that Jason Kidd was actually playing him a little bit more than we've seen recently. And, you know, we always – different Mavset fans have their opinions about him and Dwight Powell's minutes, of course – and how those are staggered, but it almost seemed as if Jason Kidd would have been willing to maybe ride him a little bit more down the stretch, but Christian Wood had two, like, blatant illegal screens in a row. He just threw his shoulder into the guy, and, you know, the first one was kind of like, okay, you know, just get your feet set, but the second one, it's like, okay, like, how could you not learn from the first one? It was, like, literally, like, back-to-back possessions, and, you know, deservingly so, he got subbed out. I wasn't really mad at that decision when Maxi came into the game for him. I, I know Maxi can set a better screen, and he can – He's obviously typically better or typically better defensively, but Christian Wood went to the locker room right after. And I guess he was followed by JaVale McGee. He ended up coming back onto the bench, but it was just a weird scenario. And I don't know if that, you know, typifies him not, you know, being pissed off or something of that nature, but it was a whole weird deal. But luckily, I mean, he came back onto the bench, supported the team, but, and he didn't play for the rest of the game. I, I don't know. The whole situation in itself is just weird. And we've obviously covered it at nauseum and what my opinions and Jaron's opinions are regarding the situation, but it is just a sort of unfortunate deal in terms of the way that, you know, both he's kind of operated as well as the Mavericks and their coaching staff and the front office has operated with him. And we're just going to have to see how it evolves over the next 19 games of the playoffs. Cause at the end of the day, regardless of how you want to twist it, his, you know, offensive prowess and his readiness, and if he can play good defensively, I mean, that matters a lot for the Mavericks. They could easily lose him for nothing this offseason. So, I mean, I know it's not as big of a loss as, like, Brunson per se, but the Mavericks don't have cap space to just go out and sign another person. So, you know, I, I hope they don't screw it up and from whatever perspective ends up happening, you know, whether that just be – somehow facilitating a sign and trade or, you know, if he plays good down the stretch, returning him on another deal or, you know, seeing how he fares with Maxi, you know, especially as Maxi comes up to speed. I think one of the biggest saving graces to Christian Wood's season this year could be him and Maxi's two main lineups because that kind of covers up for some of Wood's defensive lapses. But 
I guess we'll just have to see how the situation evolves nonetheless down the stretch. Tim Hardaway Jr. had a really good game tonight. He actually played pretty well defensively for, you know, what it's worth in terms of what he can do. He did a good job rotating. There were a few times where he had some over fouls and he was being a little bit preemptive and he got caught. He kind of got caught ball washing as he typically has a tendency to do, you know, when he, or when he closes out too hard, but he shot the ball well. Um, he had six threes that he attempted in this game and those were all of the field goals he attempted in this game. He made all four. They made four free throws at 16 points. I mean, just a really steady game from him. This was the, exactly what you'd ask for him off the bench. He played 37 minutes in this one. Uh, just, you know, proving as to why his spacing is invaluable. He's become this, you know, more of a consistent guy for the Mavericks as of recent, no matter what role he's sort of in, he's just been playing more consistently for whatever reason, you know, the defense hasn't been as atrocious, you know, there's still the bouts and, you know, you still maybe would probably label him as an average to, you know, even sometimes below average defensive player, but he's doing a better job rotating as a team defender and he's hitting his threes and he's providing that spacing for the Mavericks. And that's something that they sorely need. I mean, obviously you'd like a guy in his position to be able to defend a little bit better and maybe they can address that this off season, but I think for what it's worth, he's been playing pretty well. So I was happy with how he played it. It's just not even like the fact that he's playing well. It's the fact that, you know, we've had the whole tendency of Tim Hardaway Jr. to play crazy good for like two weeks at a time and terrible for two weeks at a time. But, you know, ever since the trade deadline, it's just been this sort of consistent marker of, you know, you know, there are guests, like some games, there'll be some variance in terms of, you know, him being a little bit better in one game versus the other, but overarchingly he's playing pretty good. So I was happy with that. Josh Green, he, I thought he did a really good job in his 22 minutes and I, I thought he should probably got a little bit more, he did about as good of a job at the point of attack on Halliburton as he could have, but I mean, that's just a tough card in general. Otherwise he defended everybody else rotationally pretty well. He went four for five from the field. You know, I'd like to see him be a little bit more aggressive offensively, but the same, you know, he, he definitely seems that that's sort of tapered off ever since Jason Kidd took him out of the starting lineup for whatever reason. Um, but he still did a great job cutting, running in transition. He had a thunderous dunk in transition today where, um, you know, and then he had a nice backdoor cut where he was able to get a little Luca lob that he was able to get up there. So, I mean, he's still making those sort of fill in the gap uh, utility player plays that are just invaluable that no, really nobody else kind of provides on this team just in, by virtue of his cutting and his um, savviness moving without the ball and just getting the ball within, you know, finding gaps within, you know, holes of the defense. But at the same time, you know, he, he only had 22 minutes tonight, but he, he I thought he played really well for what's worth, got a few really key rebounds for the Mavericks. So he had a pretty solid game, but he definitely wasn't, you know, bringing the ball up the floor as much as we've seen in previous games or him facilitating as much offense, but he did come in and provide some stability in those bench lineups for the Mavericks. So um, I thought that that was pretty solid. Um, so that kind of goes, that's kind of as far as the Mavericks play tonight. I, I thought all their, how all their guys fared, you know, there were some guys better than others, but particularly offensively, there really weren't many gripes with this team, but defensively is where we really need to get into. And that's obviously the Mavericks interior and perimeter defensive woes that continue to persist game after game. You know, I, I kind of alluded to it when I was talking about some of those guys, but it was just a sort of, you know, you know, the Mavericks obviously don't have the wherewithal or the personnel to be able to remediate those woes entirely, but I thought they did a halfway decent job. 
um, at points in this game in terms of their perimeter defense. But like I said, uh, particularly in that third quarter, things just veered off to the side for whatever reason. And they started just getting a little more lackadaisical. They were conceding a lot of dri single dribble blow bys to guys that they wouldn't stereotypically do it to, like a Aaron Neesmith or Andrew Nemhart. You know, definitely like capable players. But, you know, if, if you're going to get beat in one-on-one -on -one scenarios, you want it to be, at, you know, at the point of attack, you know, you want it to be like Tyrese Halliburton because the more role players you can see those easy baskets to, the harder it's going to get for you to win games. So that obviously was cause for concern. And of course, the lack of rim protection. Maxie did a good job rotating for what, you know, for what it's worth, but Miles Turner just put so much pressure on the rim. There was really no answer for him in any sort of aspect. You know, there's a sort of call to action maybe from some people to play JaVale a little bit, which is interesting. Um, and I, I maybe would tend to agree with that, especially if the Mavericks don't do anything in the buyout market. They have till 12 p.m. Central time, or no, 12 a.m. Central time, I believe, on March 1st, so today, to, to do something. But, of course, you know, that's going to be conducive to whether they actually decide to do something or not. So we'll just have to see how that situation ends up evolving. But, I mean, this team just – we as is well-documented. They just have a severe lack of rim protection. And, you know, particularly when Dwight and JaVale are in there, you know, they can do some different things in terms of their team defense and Christian – oh, I said Dwight and JaVale. I meant Dwight and Christian Wood. Um, they can do some different things in terms of Dwight, you know, being a solid team defender, him being stout, especially when the Mavericks went to zone. They went to zone for like a brief period in that first quarter. And Dwight is uh, pretty solid uh, when the Mavericks do that schematically. Um, and, you know, Christian Wood, he has a good – he's able to defend the perimeter decent and occasionally, um, you know, chase some blocks and do some different things there. Um, but, you know, in terms of – he's even not a terrible one-on-one -on -one defender when he's matched up against some of these big men, but – you know, in terms of defending the pick and roll and, you know, being able to provide rim protection when you got a guy coming downhill, both of those guys just are not capable enough. And then what Maxi is able to provide, especially coming off this hamstring injury right now, just isn't enough to serve as a cure-all for the woes that the Mavericks have. And, I mean, the Mavericks also just don't have, you know, some of their wings are maybe good one-on-one -on -one perimeter defenders, but they're – they don't really serve as, you know, big enough guys in terms of like Reggie or Justin Holiday that can rotate over and provide that like weak side help in instances where somebody gets beat at the rim. So, I mean, that this is obviously their biggest, um, their, their biggest sort of failure this season, of course, is the Mavericks for protection, you know, by virtue of that, you know, JaVale McGee not being exactly what a lot of people may have conceived him to be and, you know, you want to maybe try him out in some of these instances, but who knows how much it would actually help, of course, right? But Because just some of the inconsistencies he's had this year. But, you know, Miles Turner, of course, torched the Mavericks in that department this, this game. And the perimeter defense I thought was okay at times. But, like I said, in that third quarter, it was just completely lackadaisical and they were getting beat a lot more than – a lot more often than not. And that was kind of disheartening to see. So you'd like to see them remediate that a little bit. Uh, in terms of that perimeter defense, in terms of something that they can actually control, but the interior defense that seems to just be a commonality of it is what it is. Hopefully they can maybe tend to it on the buyout market a little bit, but they're definitely not going to get any sort of cure all this season by any means. And it just, it sucks. That's why we wish we did, they did something at the trade deadline, but they didn't. So we'll have to see if, you know, just cumulatively by virtue of that sort of scramble perimeter defense, if that can increase that they played last year, 
that can help resolve the issue a little bit and get them to the middle of the pack defensively, as well as, you know, the offense just invigorating some more energy into this team. And if the offense is so good to where it overrides that, that'd be great. But it's just becoming a huge problem right now. Right. Um, otherwise, you know, the Mavericks were plagued by overfouling in this one, as I had kind of alluded to in that first half. It got better in the second half, though, for sure. And the Mavericks themselves didn't shoot the best on free throws tonight. They went 18 for 28. A lot of those, I think they made all their second half free throws, but they did a, definitely had some clunky mishaps in terms of the first half and with those free throws. You know, otherwise, some other different narratives we can maybe get into. Um, Luca's attitude, I know there's been a lot of complaints about that recently. He got a technical in this one. I don't know what his counting is at in terms of how many technicals he'll be at till he gets suspended. I'm assuming he's only a couple off, but you know, obviously there's, especially when we lose the narratives in regards to him being out of shape and him complaining about the refs, they tend to come out a lot more. You know, that's definitely not the highest thing on the totem pole in terms of the Mavericks issues at the moment, but there are obviously things that he could serve to do better at. And I mean, I think he's been in decent shape ever, ever since he came out of the all-star break. After he came back from his heel injury, there was a little gap there when we played like the Kings and stuff where I thought he may not came in the best shape, but shape, but I think he's been in fine shape and you know, it's it's on him to put in a little bit of effort defensively. Uh, we've seen that he can be a capable defender at times. He's he's really stout, even if he doesn't have the foot speed to hang with guys, and he's very savvy in terms of being able to use his hands in different situations. But, you know, he could probably be, you know, give a little more, more effort on that end at times. I know he's in, he is injecting so much effort offensively. That's, that's a tough ask for a guy like that, right? But, you know there is with the Mavericks defensive woes right now we need anything we can get so you know you'd hope that he can just expel whatever little more ounce he can defensively from that uh, from that aspect and you know just in terms of the controllables he can do a bit a better job of getting back and not complaining to the refs he always says he's going to do it but when is he actually going to do it right so you know seeing his transition defense improve things of that nature that's going to be just a maturation process that comes over comes throughout his career and we see different spurts where he's better at it, better at it than others. But I think, you know, as the frustrations with the team boil over, his frustrations with that tend to be a little more uncontrollable for himself. So I think that's just sort of an unfortunate reality. But we'll kind of have to see how that ends up evolving, because that, that definitely was notable in this game, especially with how much he complained and, you know, got technical and stuff. But it wasn't the main reason for the Mavericks losing. But, you know, he's got to get back on defense a little more, like bottom line. I think that's the biggest thing you know, take away the out-of-shape narratives, um, take away just his one-on-one -on -one defense in general. If he can just get back on defense a little more and just be there like that, that would be huge in some of these possessions. That could swing a two-point game until a win. There's a lot of different reasons. That's why the Mavericks uh, lost this game. I'm not saying that that was the reason by any means or the biggest reason, but I'm just saying that it is a fact of life, right? Otherwise, Kyrie Irving said post-game in regards to um, you know, I don't know, just kind of him being like non-aggressive. I don't know what the exact direct question was uh, to this response, but he said that he maybe had some self-imposed restrictions. Uh, I'm take, I'm quoting that verbatim. I don't know the exact quote. I'd have to go back and look at it. But he said he might have had some like self-imposed restrictions or he's putting a little pressure on himself in terms of his performance. You know, he's only had a little like rough stretch throughout this like two game stretch, but we would like to see him be a little more aggressive offensively, of course. So let's just see how that situation of course evolves because that you could maybe see that coming from him so it takes a man to admit something like that so I'm, I'm happy that 
he was um, admit, admitting to that. But I mean, this is a guy who has a track record of being one of the best ball handlers and shot creators in NBA history. So I'm not, I'm just, I'm just not all too concerned about him diverting back to, you know, what he usually is uh, after this little rough two game stretch. And, you know, as he comes, becomes more comfortable with the team that he just recently got traded to taking a little bit more of the shot diet and taking a little bit more of a heat on offense than, you know, he is right now. I mean, a lot of it could just be adapting to a new situation, you know, not wanting to interrupt things too much. And I, I get that, but he'll, he'll recognize at some point he's the best player or he's the second best player on this team. I mean, I know he already knows that, but he'll know when he needs to take over a little more. That's just my personal opinion. But, you know, if we do see this situation start to evolve for even a couple more games on end, even like one or two more games on end, then maybe there's credence to the fact that there's something else at play there. So I'll start to question that. But right now I'm, uh, I'm going to withstand from really getting into that sort of stuff. But, you know, I, I at least am happy he was able to, you know, bear some admittance to that. And hopefully he can tend to those issues accordingly and kind of figure figure out and get that, that get that confidence back that he sorely needs. But otherwise than that, you know, we can look at a couple guys on the Pacers that I thought fared really well tonight. I thought Aaron Neesmith, for a guy that has in his career not really been stereotypically known as the best defender coming out of college and things of that nature. You can definitely tell he's put on some size since he's been to the league. And I mean, his length is actually serving to play some pretty good defense. I thought he played great rotationally. He actually commits one of the, you know, like the more of the more higher dosage of fouls in the NBA, which is interesting. You know, that's by, by virtue of that, that's kind of why he only played 19 minutes tonight, but I mean, he torched the Mavericks tonight from all aspects. You know, he, he's definitely got better at his dribble drive game. He made two threes tonight. So that was nice. I've already talked about Miles Turner and Halliburton at nauseum, just Halliburton's ability to stop and go and manipulate the pick and roll. Um, and, you know, just diagnose, you know, pick and roll coverages of the guys going under on a screen. And, you know, some of the passes he's able to make within half court settings and some of the actions they run. Uh, he had like a spin pass tonight that I think and Miles Turner ended up getting fouled off of. Like that sort of stuff. It's just like, what are you going to do about that? <laughs> so, I don't even know, man, but he, he played a hell of a game tonight. Um, Andrew Nemhart, you know, this is a rookie dude, a rookie dude who's had some explosive performances this season, um, you know, just kind of as this sort of shot creating, but, you know, is also like kind of spot-up guy for them, you know, also played some decent defense, but, you know, he didn't have the best offensive game. He just missed a few of his threes, and by virtue of that, but, you know, kind of fell out of favor tonight with the Pacers, but still played some decent defense. And he, you know, he served as a pretty good playmaker at five assists tonight, but he yielded a good job, you know, just doing whatever he does against the Mavericks as always, which is typically shooting. But in this instance, he got fouled like three times taking threes or something of that nature. And he made the seven of nine of his free throws. So, you know, he's always going to be a threat from the outside, even though he's kind of a defensive black hole. Um, What's it? Jordan Aura, he played great for the Pacers, you know, coming. I think he was on the Bucks before this, I want to say. Um, and, you know, he's this sort of dude who is, you know, really decent at defending kind of like threes and fours, but he obviously has some he, – he's kind of a tweener in a sense where he, he lacks the ability to guard up on fives and also can't really sit down and, you know, guard on the perimeter. But, you know, he is a really good shooter. And he can attack off a closeout occasionally. And I mean, he, he did great off the bench for them. So 16 points, Mavericks had a tough time containing him. TJ McCall, McConnell was that sort of savvy presence where he's just so good at dribbling around, really savvy third ball handler. This guy like love for the Mavericks to have. 
but you know, it's obvious and just a good team defender for his size. You know, he played some pretty invaluable minutes for them tonight. Chris Duarte is interesting. He kind of seems to have fell out of the rotation after being, you know, this really sort of good six man type of dude, but only played seven minutes tonight, went over two, was pretty unnoticeable. But you know, they got a lot of guys that kind of play the same position, like just sort of hybrid guards or um forward. So it'd be interesting to monitor what they do with that in their near future, especially as they start to get better, how that situation may start to um, play itself out with some of those guys maybe getting traded, but that's interesting um, to say the least, but Benedict Mathurin, he's been coming off the bench all year, you know, obviously this high profile two-way, you know, high flying rookie. And, you know, he had kind of a rough game tonight. He got to the free throw line a couple of times. Uh, he's really explosive getting to the rim. His three-point shot's good. He's obviously a really stout defender, has the athleticism, you know, he can be a little bit preemptive in a sort of same sort of sense that like kind of like Josh Green is and, terms of you know his ability to kind of anticipate too much and not sit down and you know play good on one-on-one defense he, he takes some gambles but I mean he has the tools to be a really good defender at some point as he was in college and even so he still has some good defensive games um, with those um, inhibitions that I had just mentioned and even though he didn't have the best offensive game I've really liked this guy so far um, just from an encore perspective the way uh, that he you know is plays and I really like his game even though uh, some people have some gripes with his off-court stuff I mean he's a confident dude and I like that so you know I, I thought he played a hell of a game tonight and or, I mean def- I mean <laughs> he didn't play a hell of a game tonight but I thought that um for scoring one of us you know for going one of seven I still thought he had a pretty immediate impact on the game even though he wasn't you know the you know, primary scoring option off the bench or wasn't hitting all of his shots as he typically is for the Pacers. But barring that, that's really all I got for this podcast. I mean, if we're going to go and answer this and triple the question of is the Mavericks season in jeopardy, just to reiterate, I mean, it, it very well could be, but I don't think it's gotten necessarily to that point yet. And I mean, they, they got to get their shit together sooner rather than later in terms of at least getting this defense to a point where it's comparable to being you know, close to some of those middle of the pack teams and, you know, getting the offense to a point where, or just getting the offense to a point where it's just so good that it overrides the defense. One of the two, I don't know if this Mavericks seems a championship contender, but they could at least be a team that makes a decent run in the playoffs, but they're going to have to, you know, they're going to have to get that up and running faster seventh in the West now. And they could also easily be a team that falls out. We don't, this team has had so many questions, you know, we thought that they seemingly kind of, Threw all those questions out the window once Kyrie came and they have an identity now, but I mean, that may not necessarily be the case, even if they have a direction, I don't know if they have an identity and that's, that's a big thing for this team to find is just what are they? And so we'll see what happens. They play Philly at six 30 on Thursday at home. Of course they can use home stretch and that's going to be a huge game. This next stretch makes or breaks the season, man. I mean, if they lose a few more, they could be out of the play in game. So it's a sad reality we may have to come to, but I don't know. It's really starting to get scary guys. And I hope that, Things end up turning out for the best, but otherwise, I will be here. I will continue to cover it for you guys, of course. Jaren will too when he comes back Thursday night. Uh, barring that, make sure to follow us on Twitter at mainstream underscore Mavs. Make sure to subscribe, comment, and like if you were on the YouTube gang. Shout out to the YouTube gang if you guys are listening on there. We are on YouTube now, of course. Comment if you are on YouTube. What do you think? Do you think Joel Embiid will get into a fight with any Mavericks players on Thursday night? Comment that. Um, also, otherwise, if you're listening on any other podcast platform, we're on almost any po- every podcast platform, whether it be Anchor or um, Spotify or Apple Podcasts, 
make sure to follow us or subscribe on whatever sort of podcast platform it allows you to do so and whatever, basically, however you have to follow us, just do that. If you guys really enjoy our content, we appreciate you guys from listening this far on the podcast. Give us a five-star rating, of course, as well. Otherwise, we will catch you guys in the next one. Will with Mainstream Mavs signing out. Peace out, guys.